Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello! And this is Thursday, April 11, 2019. Transfer of ownership of a debt means a purchase and sale of the debt. And with it, in the form of an, ass- of an assignment of mortgage, the right to enforce the debt <clears throat> by judgment for damages or judgment for foreclosure or both. Bill Padilla will join me in a moment to discuss cancellation of the assignment of mortgage and related documents. He also joins me in seasonal allergies, so that should be fun with us sneezing and coughing. A couple of short notes to our listeners. Now is the time to start a writing campaign of members of Congress. I'm not sure if they're done with them, but the CEOs of the megabanks are showing up on Capitol Hill starting, I think, today for the first time since since the 2008 crisis. These members of Congress, for the most part, don't know what they're talking about or how to think about regulation of the megabanks. And they won't know unless you tell them what happened to you. Securitization, as promised, was a sham. And the megabanks have taken control of the financial system without controls on them. Start writing letters and let them know what you think about the banks and the failure of the government to keep the marketplace safe. Second, speaking of not acting fairly and legally toward borrowers and consumers, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that emotional distress damages and punitive damages can be recovered by mortgage borrowers under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, also known as FCRA. So you have the FDCPA, RESPA, R-E-S-P-A, TILA, T-I-L-A, and the FRCA, all with potential damage claims and all possible counts in a lawsuit or in affirmative defenses for recoupment. Remember that recoupment is not necessarily barred by the statute of limitations, whereas a lawsuit is barred if it exceeds the time limit. Back to tonight's subject, cancellation of assignment and related documents. Yes. You can seek to cancel an assignment of a mortgage, but only with a court order. And you can't just announce it. And you can cancel a substitution of trustee. You can cancel a declaration of default. And you can cancel a notice of sale. If you reveal to a judge who agrees 
that the attorneys for the named claimant failed to establish that the claimant exists or failed to show that the named claimant received an effective transfer of the mortgage or deed of trust. Tonight, Bill will join me to discuss the intricacies of the RAIN decision in California. Lest you missed it, the object of the defense is to reveal the holes in the claimant and reveal the holes in the claim. My constant advice to litigants is not to assume the burden of proving that the claimant never existed. Keep your allegations to a bare minimum and uh, and you don't want to be proving that the claim isn't valid under all circumstances. Judges will reject that. In the current judicial climate, the best you can realistically hope for is that the claimant has no claim. And not that there's no debt, note, or mortgage. The subtle difference between taking the defensive position and trying to take the offensive position when you can't prove what you want to prove without the cooperation of your opposition makes all the difference in the world between winning and losing. But before we get started, I want to make one thing clear if I haven't already made it clear. This rain case in California does not stand for the proposition that you can cancel the mortgage or deed of trust. I know the logic seems to point that way, but it does not stand for that proposition. It stands for the proposition that events after the mortgage or deed of trust is executed, that those events might be void, and therefore any written instruments referring to such events can be canceled. If it didn't happen, you can't say that it did happen. That's all. And the Reigns decision is also not a final decision even in the third DC of California because it was not rendered with permission to publish. At most, it is persuasive authority, and even then, it is only persuasive because of the logic of the opinion, not because the decision is binding on anyone. So understanding the logic is essential to using the strategy of cancellation <coughs> and arguing effectively in court. And lastly, this is not a quiet title action. You're not removing the encumbrance, the mortgage, or deed of trust. So you're not going to get clear title free of the encumbrance. What you can get is being free of the enforcement. And eventually, later, perhaps much later, quiet title when nobody else shows up to enforce the debt, the note, the mortgage, or deed of trust. The way debt is transferred according to the laws of every state in the union is by paying value to the owner of the debt. And once value has been paid, the debt is transferred. So it should not theoretically be sold again and transferred again and again and again. There is no other way. A paper transfer alone has been litigated many, many times all throughout the country. It, is, it always comes out the same way. An assignment of mortgage without the transfer of the debt is a nullity. Litigants get lost in the weeds when attorneys for the banks and services get the attention of the court directed to enforcement of only the note, where a transfer of the note can be effectuated without transfer of the debt. Transfer of a mortgage cannot be effectuated without transfer of the debt. Two different things. These clever lawyers point to the fact that the borrower stopped paying 
as if that's all there is. That's how they win. When you get the attention of the court directed back to the law of the state which adopts the Uniform Commercial Code Article 9 provisions requiring value to be paid for the debt, and where doctrine states that transfer of the mortgage without the debt are a nullity, then it is the homeowner who wins. And that's exactly how I've won, and every other lawyer I know has won. If the debt has not was not purchased contemporaneously or before the assignment of a mortgage, then the assignment is a nullity, and a nullity means it is void. It means it never happened. If it is void and it's recorded, then it can be canceled and it can be removed from the chain of title. That is what the court order does. So they are presenting the claimant as a party authorized by law to enforce the debt on behalf of the owners of the debt, but without asserting for whom they are enforcing the debt, they have not presented any true claimant. So there you have it. Two shots. One is to reveal no claimant asserted because of the name they used as the claimant, and then to assert that there is no claim held in the name of the claimant. The goal is to reveal that the evidence is missing that would show that the claimant exists or that the claimant or that the claim exists. Or that the claim exists and but there's no foundation evidence to show it is owned by the claimant or some combination thereof. The investment bank can't say they're enforcing on behalf of themselves, and they don't, even though they funded the origination or acquisition of the debt. They don't say that because they have long since divested themselves of any ownership of the debt several times over. So no investment bank has ever shown up in foreclosure litigation, even though they were the real party in interest at the time of the loan origination or acquisition. Normally, the only practical defense to foreclosure is payment. The payment has already been made to the investment bank that fronted the money. So you need to show the inevitable gaps in the paperwork that trace back to the investment bank without taking on the burden of proving facts that you actually can't prove. In short, the only way you're your opposition can win is by successfully directing a judge's attention to the fact that the borrower stopped paying rather than the fact that the named claimant or plaintiff ever had a claim to collect or enforce the debt. That's how investment banks hide. The only way you can win is by redirecting the judge's attention back to where the claimant exists, where the claim exists, and the claimant is the owner of the claim. If you do that successfully, their proof fails. Remember, it's more likely than not that if your house is foreclosed and sold, the proceeds will not be used to pay anyone who actually owns your debt. So stop feeling shaky about defending. I said this last week. Shame is what's undermining fairness in the justice system when it comes to foreclosures. Remember, you can always come back and listen to the show again or send it to a friend by going to blogtalkradio.com and looking up the Neil Garfield Show. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, and this show is brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, and Gar and the Garfield Firm. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you.
And for those who are not yet contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog. Pledge whatever you think you can afford. If what we're doing here has value for you, if the show has value for you, if our work on the blog has value for you, which all occurs without payment or support of, of any kind uh, for anyone who appears on the show or is published on the blog, uh, then chip in. Make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. Bill Padalo is an accomplished and well-respected private investigator who turned his skills towards the foreclosure marketplace many moons ago, uh, around the same time that I did, I think. He's made or confirmed all the major discoveries and revelations in the foreclosure world. Bill is a friend and someone whose work I continue to admire. Welcome, Bill Padalo. Thank you very much, Neil. Pleasure to be here. Even with your so, allergies? Yeah, even, even with these allergies that are persisting. And so I apologize in advance for any uh, horse throat or coughing that may come up as I talk. But, uh, yeah, it's, this is a, a very interesting topic, um, especially with this Ghana decision versus J.P. Morgan Chase that came out uh, here recently. Because in my view, even though it's an unpublished opinion, it really provides a, a crystal clear roadmap, so to speak, to uh, a strategy that I think is underutilized and needs to be come right to the forefront in every one of these cases, okay? And that's the cancellation of these documents. First of all, this case involves a Long Beach mortgage, which is kind of similar to like a WAMU loan and the whole Chase FDIC scenario. And I've been saying this for years, and I uh, wrote about it a long time ago, that <clears throat> they cannot get especially uh, a foreclosure or get to the, the process of a non-judicial foreclosure. Uh, they can't get to the, the, the first document after the assignment is executed, which is the substitution of trustee. They can't get to that next document in the daisy chain of, a, of, of documents that they need to record to you know, carry out the non-judicial foreclosure sale without having executed or recorded these fraudulent assignments. And I've said since day one, every one of these Long Beach mortgage, uh, WAMU loans that are foreclosed on non-judicially in California, every single one of them are subject to illegal foreclosure, I believe, because of that, that fact that they had to trump up that document. And so this, this rule really said, you know, it, it, it's kind of a long read, and you kind of have to go through all this stuff that the court is sifting through and deciding on all these issues. And, and it's one of the cases that, you know, it's referred to sort of as, as a shotgun approach, you know, where people go after it either to defend against a non-judicial foreclosure by suing everybody on the planet with a million claims and, and uh, it all has to get sifted through and sorted through in these long uh, opinions. But at the end, there's a little gold nugget here, and that's talking about the, the, the cancellation of the documents because <clears> – <throat> I, I just came off a, a fantastic seminar in, in uh, Las Vegas this past weekend, and it was put on by an attorney in California, Al West, who's out of Redondo Beach, and he's fantastic, and he's really the master of, of a strategy called C&E. It's cancellation and expungement 
of these documents, and he, he put this course on with many listeners. I'm sure you've heard of Dave Krieger, uh, a very knowledgeable, fantastic individual as well. Um, but anyhow, this uh, what, they're, what they're talking about with this Ghana decision and everything else is for the listeners here, you have to kind of turn the hat around a little bit and think of this as two sides to the fence. There's the arguments that the banks win all the time, typically, with the narrative talking about the debt and arguing uh, the, the validity of the assignments as being void versus voidable because of the underlying transactions that they claim to represent. And then there's just the strict side of the fence that talks about title, okay? And as most people know and realize, and they've been kicked around in the courts and by the courts and everything else, is that you walk into court and that you want to, you know, scream to the high heavens and show all the evidence that the assignment is, is fraudulent, okay, for, some, you know, for various reasons. And, of course, fraud is a very difficult claim to prove. There's a lot of elements. The burden of proving fraud is very difficult. And at the end of the day, the courts, you know, typically they, they see all this evidence, they hear all the evidence, but at the end of the day, they just basically say, uh, look, they're holding the note, so on and so forth. So we don't have to, I mean, people are well aware of this scenario. But the, dec the declaratory action is something that is, I think, a sniper approach rather than a shotgun approach. And I think it's a very, it could be a very important strategy first step in every one of these cases. And what I'm saying here and what... Al West and the others are saying as, as part of the strategies that every state has some form of a declaratory action, you know, uh, rules of procedure if you're going to file a, this type of thing in the state, in the state court. Um, and so it's really important when you, when you focus on attacking uh, a document to have it canceled, that being the assignment. That's the most critical document, the first document that's execu yeah. executed and recorded that gives these parties the authority to do what they're about to do, whether it's file a complaint in the judicial state or carry through the non-judicial foreclosure. So you want to focus and attack it, the uh, validity and, and, and attack that assignment as being void. Now, how do you prove it's void, right? I mean, people say, well, you're, don't, you know, you're going to get caught up into the arguments about, you know, you can't challenge the assignment because it's a contract beyond other parties and all this sort of thing. You want to stay away from that side of the fence, stay on the title side of it. Look at it from a document perspective for the malfeasance that exists on the four corners of that document. Okay. It starts off in every one of these cases by looking at the notaries. Okay. The notaries who are swearing and attesting under penalty of perjury that the person who appeared or signed before them or whatnot was an officer of XYZ company. And you really, this is kind of the beginning, uh, is to focus on that. Now, I'm going to take a step back here because <clears throat> it's common sense. When you look back when Lorraine Brown and Doc Exxon, she was indicted. She was indicted for filing a million fraudulent documents into the public records. Okay, a million. It's estimated right now there's probably 500 million documents that were falsified that are in the public land records throughout the United States right now. And that number is continuing to grow. You know, it's sort of like the, the amount of plastic that's building up out in the center of the Pacific Ocean. It's not going away. It's not stopping. It's continuing. It's one of the, you know, the public land records in this country is one of the largest crime scenes ever created. All right. 
just because Lorraine Brown pled guilty and went to prison doesn't suddenly miraculously make him cure all of these documents that are still sitting there and polluting the records. And I'll tell you to this day, these documents surface up in these foreclosure cases. They still exist and they're still being produced. Okay. So in attacking these things, you look at the notary first and foremost, and it's a two-step process in my view and what the, and what, you know, Al and them, them are saying, and, and they have success stories to show that how they're doing this. And you go after the notary application, the notary bond, so to speak, and you find out all that information that they're required to produce. In some states, I should say, you know, all states are a little different in their notary requirements. So you have to be cognizant of, of what, what the statutes say. And, and, and what most people don't even realize, too, is that many of the state's requirements for these notarizations are not being complied with regularly, but people just never realized it. You know, for example, in Florida, well, you know that the notaries have to have two witnesses, okay, on, on all of these notarizations. So sometimes you'll see a, a document produced elsewhere uh, and produced into the court, and they have all kinds of various defects and deficiencies that you explore and get into, and then you attack the malfeasance in that document. And, and when you can show and, and that that document was executed fraudulently, there was malfeasance, you're attacking the legal uh, validity to that document. It's, enforce, it's legal effect, right? If it, if it, if it, let's say, for example, I track down a notary because these notaries are independent parties commissioned through the states, okay? And they are fair game and they are a target. And if I track them down, and, it's, and it can be done very easily. And they don't want to be a defendant in some potential action or civilly liable. There's a good chance that they're going to basically confess or write a confession in exchange for being dragged into a, a, a case as a defendant. And if you're able to secure these types of uh, admissions, confessions, affidavits, there's all kinds of ways to do this. It goes right to the heart of that declaratory action to file that action in a state court proceeding. And it's very important, and, I, and I, I was just telling you before the show came on, Neil, that you don't want to do a shotgun approach with this type of thing. You want to make sure that you do these in state courts and that you find a party on that document who is named in that state where you're filing the declaratory action to keep jurisdiction in the state court. So if you're inclined to go out and do the shotgun approach and start naming everybody on the planet, there's a good chance parties are going to be outside the state and then you're going to get remanded into federal court and you've lost that first step, and that's maintaining and keeping it in state court. So once you play that out and you prove and testify through an expert who's reviewed the documents, you've got the evidence from the notary journals, for example, and all the signatures, and you've got all this malfeasance that you can point out, has nothing to do with what the document is professing to, to have occurred, okay? It's just that the parties aren't who they say they were, the notary didn't sign it in front of someone, and the document was backdated. There are just numerous issues to attack that document. Once that's canceled, it's sort of like it opens up the door, for example, for slander of title claims, for example. In California, if that assignment is declared uh, canceled, every document 
technically by operational law after that point in time, being the NOTS, the substitution of tr trustee, notice of default, trustee's deed, all of those documents would logically uh, become void. Okay, you don't have to sue on every single document here because it's a domino effect. The first one, the first one that tips, the rest of them tip. But then, once you have that document declared void as though it never existed and it's expunged, well, now you can regroup and now you can figure out and you know all the different types of causes of actions and claims that potentially exist. But you, but my point here in this, and I think the strategy is perfect. It's cost effective. It's simple to do, and it's the most important first step in the two-step process if you were going to go for a quiet title or damages or anything after that document's declared void. But um, it's it's a uh, a very cost effective approach instead of doing a shotgun approach and getting caught up into the uh, arguments over the debt. Look at it from the title perspective. And one last thing I did before I'm sure you'll comment here is my personal case that I've I've got and I'm waiting for the judge to come out on the ruling and I've had Russ Baldwin who's been on the show representing me. I mean, here's a case where I, I believe and I'm hopeful, but I'm on the cusp here of the ejectment action being just simply over the title to the house. Who's entitled to, who has superior title and who gets possession? That's being decided, and, and the homeowner, the parties who are in the house who I had to sue in this ejectment action, they're, one of their basic defenses, what they're trying to say is, well, we bought the house from J.P. Morgan Chase. We got a special warranty deed, and uh, uh, you had a settlement agreement with Chase. You settled with them. Well, yeah, but my attorney said, listen, settlement agreements and confidentiality, all these things that exist behind the curtains, cash for keys, all these agreements that people entered into to walk away from their homes, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, dictate what's, what, who, who's entitled. The only thing that dictates what's entitled is what's in the county recorder's office. And that's why I know you've been saying this for years, Neil, that there's millions of people out there who have been foreclosed on during this crisis who probably don't even realize it, that they, they are still entitled and still have rights to go back and get into title. Yeah, and, and the uh, uh, the banks know that, uh, and so they have pressured legislatures across the country. Not all of them have done it, but like in Florida, Florida did the same thing they did in the 1930s with the Murphy Act. Florida has a law that says you can seek to vacate the sale for up to one year. After that, that's title, but you can you can get damages. So they basically acknowledge the fact that sales take place that are fraudulent and wrongful, but they're going to allow them to proceed. This is legislative policy. Uh, and allow you to get money damages as a result of the wrongful foreclosure. But then, as you just pointed out, you may have to rise to the level of proving fraud in order to get your damages, which is by clear and convincing evidence, which is almost beyond a reasonable doubt. And proving that, means that you've got to prove that they knew that this was false. They did it. 
knowing that you would rely on what they were telling you. And they did it knowing that you'd be injured and that you were, in fact, injured. Now, with this 11th Circuit case, it's a lot easier to show that you were injured because, as pointed out by the California Supreme Court, uh, emotional damages are pretty much presumed if you lost your house. So there, there's a lot of issues here uh, uh, that the, the, the objective of cancellation and expungement addresses, which is more likely than not as the, as the burden of proof, which is why I like it, and it's it's razor sharp, like a sniper, like Bill said. And uh, uh, I can see if it is directed not at the mortgage, but at the assignment, and then the notice of substitution of trustee, and notion, uh, and the notice of uh, that that I, I I can see would succeed. I want to thank Bill for coming on the show and explaining it so clearly. We'll be back next week. Bill, thank you, and take care of those allergies. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Time flies. <laughs> thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.